You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. So how many of you uh, have family or friends that you know that evacuated Florida? I'm going to guess that's quite a few. Is there anybody here who evacuated and just decided to drop in the church on your way back? I saw somebody at the restaurant the other day uh, from Fort Lauderdale. My sister is in Fort Lauderdale, and she and her family, um, not her husband, but her three children, went to uh, the mountains of North Carolina where it looked like the hurricane was going to follow them. Of course, it's, it's gone west. I know some of you have family uh, in Florida that are staying and hunkering down. Um, we have friends in the Dominican Republic who were very fortunate. And then also, uh, Lee and Marisol Newton have family and friends in uh, Puerto Rico. So we're grateful that uh, they were spared some of the worst. In, in a few days, rebuilding will begin. Uh, it, it's just hard to wrap your head around the destruction that Harvey and Irma have caused and at this moment are causing uh, in our country. I mean, have you seen the images from the islands? Barbuda, one of the first islands, Caribbean islands to be hit, they said it's like 95% uninhabitable. Um, Joy Vonk, who used to play violin for our worship team, was here a couple of weeks ago. And she happened to be here uh, while the hurricane was going on in Houston. Joy moved to Houston as a ministry to be a PA in a clinic there where they get to share the gospel. Uh, she makes a lot, of less, lot less money than she used to make. She is so happy to be doing what she's doing, serving the Lord in the ways that she is. And while she was glad to be out of the hurricane, she was very much her hearts were with the people that she loves and, and, and with whom she does life in Houston. There's something about a crisis that just causes us to, 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 to put aside the things that really aren't that important and focus on what is important. And there's something about a crisis that, that brings people together, isn't there? I mean, how many times have you heard on the news where you... Talking to someone who was in a hurricane or a tornado or a section that's been greatly damaged or an earthquake. We're not this political party or that political party, this race or that race. We're not different nationalities. We are one community working together. We're just helping one another. It's what it's all about. They always say things like that. And truly, that's what they mean. This is the important thing in life is helping each other. Out. This morning, we're going to continue our mini-series titled Gospel Community as Witness. Uh, the instruction that we have received has been found in the last half of the book of John, most of which consists of Jesus teaching to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. Uh, today, we find ourselves in an extended passage, John 15, 18 through 16 33, um, in which the disciples were about to enter an extremely difficult time from a human perspective. Jesus was preparing them and talking about the ways that community would assist them in such a difficult time. This is a long text. We'll only read a portion of it, though the whole section will inform the sermon. And if you're in a home group this week, you will take time to read this entire text. In the text that we're reading today, Jesus is preparing his disciples for, the, for his departure and for their persecution. He was not leaving them helpless, though. In addition to giving them this strong, building them into this strong community of support for one another, he promised them the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who would come to them. And although it was hard to believe, it would even be better for them. He said, you know what? <laughs> You don't get this right now, but you're sad because I'm going away. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, it's going to be much better when the Holy Spirit comes. And they they just like, it's like, yeah, whatever. They they couldn't believe that. They were uh, greatly confused about what Jesus 
was trying to tell them. And so he says, it's, believe it or not, it's going to be better. And they were like, really? Really? How is that so? I'll be reading John 15, 18 through 16, 11, and then finishing with chapter 16, verse 33, um, which is an incredible word of encouragement from the Savior. The Holy Spirit that, that Jesus was promised was going to provide encouragement and comfort, comfort and assistance. <clears throat> He's called the counselor many times in our English translations. Counselor is a good word if you understand it as a legal counselor, not a camp counselor or a marriage counselor, that kind of a thing. It's, it's someone who is advocating for us in court and someone who is defending us in the only place that matters in the end, before the court of heaven. The Holy Spirit does that for us and, and with it brings incredible joy that sustains us in the time of crisis. So even though we're cutting out quite a few verses, it's still a long portion of Scripture to read. And, and so instead of, of standing as we normally do for the reading of Scripture, I'll ask you to remain seated. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer first, and then we'll work our way a little bit. We'll just read the portion of the text before contemplating implications for our gospel community, Grace Community Church, in a time of increasing difficulty for believers. So would you please pray with me? And I, I do ask you to pray. Pray with me when I, I, I pray on our behalf and say, Lord, we need you. We need to hear from you. And while the Holy Spirit is very much involved in our hearing and understanding, he is leading us to help to, to, to help us understand your word. You have not left us indeed help, helpless. But through the word of God and the Holy Spirit making this word come alive. We hear what we need to hear from you. So open our hearts as we read and as we contemplate. What it is you were saying to your disciples and what that means for us today. Give us understanding. Give us joyful hearts. And give us hearts that are responsive and obedient to the word. For it's in the name of the one who spoke all of these words, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'll be reading this morning from the English Standard Version, John 15, 18. If the world hates you... Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Um, remember, Jesus has just finished talking to them, we, as we read last week in John 15, about his connection with them, the vine, the branches, and their connection with one another and the importance of loving one another. And then he turns around, at, right after, <clears throat> immediately after he's talked about loving one another, <coughs> he says, you guys love each other, but the world hates you. Don't let it surprise you, though. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. <clears throat> if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just think about how often we try to live in such a way that the world will like us and accept us. And he said, look, it's, that's not the way it works. I chose you out of the world, and the world hates you for it. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Remember that? When he was washing their feet, and he said, a servant is not. He's bringing it up again. If, if this happens to me, don't be surprised if it happens to you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It's a big statement. <clears throat> but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had 
not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He's not saying, <coughs> look, if, if we understood Jesus to be saying, as long as you don't hear the gospel, you're not responsible for it. Then the best thing for us to do is keep our mouth shut, right? What he's saying is, the more you know, the more responsible you are for the word that has been given to you. Verse 23, whoever hates me, hates my father also. I love God. Well, do you love Jesus? If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen... And hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Look at the irony of this. They're appealing to the word to condemn Jesus. And Jesus said, but they're actually fulfilling the word. This was God's design all along. Verse 26. But when the helper comes... The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Another place Jesus says, look, he will not speak of himself. He'll point to me. And if, if you glorify the Holy Spirit above the other to members of the, of the Trinity, you're missing what Jesus said would be true about the Spirit. The Spirit's pointing to Jesus. Now, when people talk about you and you say, look, it's this one over here. It's the Lord. It's not. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Verse 28. Or actually 16.1. I'm sorry. I have said all these things. I outsmarted myself. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I have said all of these things to you so that you'll know how to protect yourself again. No, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, they, they, they had asked Jesus where he was going, but it's not like they, they didn't want to hear the answer. You know what that's like, right? When, when your kids say, mom and dad, when are we going to the beach? Well, honey, we're just going to, you know. When, uh, you know, grandma decides to, up to pay up for us to go to the beach. That's when we, And they just keep right on and on and on. Mom, when, Dad, when are we going to the beach? And, and you're telling them the answer. We can't go. We've got this, that, and the other. But they don't like the answer. And so they keep asking the question. <clears throat> and Jesus is essentially saying, you're not really asking <coughs> where are you going. You're not trying to figure this out for yourself. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. <clears throat> Eleven, concerning judgment, <clears throat> because the ruler of this world is judged. And then that beautiful verse, John 16, after he's taught him a lot more than what we've just read. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's not promising to eliminate troubles. He's just saying, when I am in you, you're bigger than your troubles because I'm bigger than your troubles. 
Seven things that uh, we need to remember as we dwell in community. First is this. Persecution is not about you. It is about Jesus. First, you may be thinking, persecution? <laughs> really? Really? We're persecuted? Look, I'm not sure at what level you experience persecution, but at least at some level, somebody thinks you're nuts if you follow Jesus closely. Somebody thinks you're crazy. It is especially so if you attend a church that actually believes that the Bible is is a reliable authority which can be trusted and is the final authority for all things that God says and is revealing himself to us through Jesus, through his word. A lot of people today think that, that religion should be kept entirely in its place, unless, of course, it conforms to the religion of culture. That's why candidates for federal judgeships are being asked by United States senators, how serious are you about your Christian beliefs? This past week, California Senator Dianne Feinstein expressed concern about the beliefs of Amy Barrett, a respected law professor at Notre Dame, saying to her this, the conclusion one draws is that dogma, your doctrine, your beliefs, your belief system. The conclusion one draws is that dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for years in this country. What the senator means is that the judge is unfit, Barrett is unfit to be a federal judge because her beliefs about abortion about same-sex marriage are colored by what the Bible says, not what the culture considers to be convenient and acceptable. In other words, religion is fine in its place. And if you can't keep it in its place, then we're going to have to deal with you in some way. Now, Feinstein's not saying that exactly, but some people are. Some people are beginning to say that. And when you see things like Three or four years ago when the mayor of Houston said, I want the pastor, all the pastors need to send all of your sermons in that you said anything about same-sex marriage, against same-sex marriage. You need to get your, and you think, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but I'm telling you, it's the thing you're going to see more and more and more. People thought Hitler was ridiculous early on. People thought some of the things Lenin and Stalin, they're ridiculous. Oh, wait a minute. It is what it is. In the first century, the church didn't have a lot to say about abortion and same-sex marriage in the public square. But they weren't allowed to have a voice in the public square. They met as a church community. And when they had conversations about Jesus, it was usually with one or two people. And when a lot of people started trusting Christ, that started changing the way that people thought about things and it's, it affected society. And so the society said, we got to do something about this. Look, many people thought of Christians as arrogant because they believed that no one would go to heaven except them. Only those who trusted in Jesus, which in fact they did believe. No wonder Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Do not expect the world to be rational when it comes to the gospel. It is so clear to you if you believe that there is no goodness in us and that our only hope of eternal life is for Jesus to to die in our place and take God's punishment upon himself. It just makes so much sense. You want to say, it's just so easy. Why are you striving so hard when, when it's a free gift? All you have to do is receive it. You walk in light, they walk in darkness. And there's a whole lot of darkness that does not like light. And so... Do not expect the world to be rational when it comes to the gospel. When people hate you because of your beliefs, it's because they hate Jesus. Or they hate the Jesus that you proclaim because that Jesus divides people. Which moves us to our second point. 
There is only one division between people that makes an eternal difference. Those who believe Jesus and those who do not. Now, this point has been made in, the, in this series about gospel community as witness. Um, but Jesus is very much talking about it here. The world is constantly trying to divide people into two groups. In Jesus' day, it was Pharisees and Sadducees. And they had very different political and religious views. Very different. And yet they came together to oppose Jesus. In our day, it's Democrats and Republicans. And I know some of you want to say, say, me to say libertarian, but look, it's donkeys and elephants until the next two parties come along that pretty much dominate. And then all the others are smaller outliers, and they sort of come together and help this one or help that one. But, but we, we're always dividing into two groups. There's black and white and, and all the different races. There's hipster and not. Those who are physically fit and those who are not. And I do say, I, it bothers me about some of you people you know, not being physically fit. But look, if you're into it, you're really into it. And it's just us and them. It's the whole world. Not on the other one that we're on. And it's those who stand for a cause and everyone else, whether they're vocal opponents or just silent. You get the idea. In the end, look, Satan, why wouldn't Satan want us to divide into all kinds of groups when the only two that matter is those who believe Jesus, those who don't? That's it. That's all he cares about. Those who believe Jesus, those who don't. Other divisions are designed to distract you from the most important question of life. Do you trust Jesus for eternal life or do you trust something else? When you decide to follow Jesus, or as our text makes clear, he chooses you. He also pronounces judgment on those who do not believe. So truth is divisive and it's offensive. And you better know that before you commit to the community. Look, when we're singing this morning like we did, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forever. Don't you just love the worship that we get to participate in here at Grace? I love it. But out there, people look at us and they say, you arrogant, sniveling this, that. How can you be so narrow-minded? How can you say, you know what it's like when you're trying to tell someone about Jesus? So you're saying, if I don't believe Jesus... I'll go to hell. Or what you're saying is, a person could be an awful person all their life, and in the last days, <coughs> call on Jesus. And then there's this person who does good all his life. This one goes to heaven. This one goes to hell. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. There's more to it than that. But yeah, ultimately, if you truly repent, you go to heaven. If you depend on your works, your good, goodness to get you to heaven, you don't. Jesus didn't sugarcoat the message to his disciples, but told them in so many words, the greatest danger that followers of Jesus face is not death, but apostasy. Listen again to these words from John 16. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming that when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So Jesus is essentially saying, it's going to happen. Some of you are going to die for your faith, for your decision to follow me. And I'm not writing these things. I'm not saying these things so that you will Protect yourself against persecution. I'm saying these things to protect you from falling away. In the earliest days of the church, persecution came from the Jews. But it quickly switched to the Roman government. When addressing the coming persecution, Jesus did not say, pray that you will not be killed. Instead, he said, I have said these things that you will not fall away. Believe it or not, there are worse things. Worse things. In this life than others thinking that you are narrow or fanatical or mean-spirited. There are worse things than going to prison for your association 
with Jesus. And there are even worse things than death. Again, we're not faced with these kinds of choices today. We, a lot of evangelical leaders across the board sense that those days may be coming. But, but they were in the first century and they are in the rest of the world or in much of the world right now. Today, people are making the decision to live or die based on whether they will deny Jesus or not. And maybe that's why Jesus said so many often, so often he said things like he did in Mark 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Sobering words. Sobering words when you don't just pass them off because, well, of course I'll stand for Jesus no matter what. We haven't been tested, really. But Jesus was telling his disciples, even though you felt protection with me, there's going to be a day where you will not feel protected. And, and, and apostasy is worse than death. Walking away from Jesus, walking away from the truth is worse than death. Next. At the core, the issues that people have with us are theological, not cultural. Over the last portion of his ministry on earth, Jesus had a great deal to say to the disciples about his death and resurrection and also his ascension back to heaven to the glory that was rightfully his as God. And when he did, the disciples responded with an emphatic, Huh? What? What, what, what do you mean you're going to... Never mind, don't tell us. That's that, that's that point. He said, you didn't really ask me. You weren't... You weren't really concerned about what was going to happen. After the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they began to make sense of Jesus' teaching. Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven some three weeks, uh, four, four or five weeks later. Uh, Jesus ascended back to heaven. But before he did, he taught the disciples from the Old Testament about himself. We see that in Luke 24. And we get the sense that Jesus spent time with them. And when Peter stood up and preached at Pentecost. He had seen how the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus all along. And that's what he preached. And he understood. All of the disciples understood after the Holy Spirit came upon them. The gospel that was being Prepared, or the gospel that was being proclaimed in the Old Testament and was fulfilled in all of its, or, or seen in all of its fullness in the New Testament. And they began to understand two things about the cross of Christ. When, when Jesus had said, I'm going to die on a cross, Peter, who had just said, you are the Christ, then said, no, 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 may it never be. No, Jesus, you can't do that. You remember that um, time where Jesus said that? And, and Peter responded in such a way. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I can't let anything distract me from the cross. Well, they began to understand about the cross. Two things. Number one, wicked men put Jesus on the cross. And that would be you and me. <laughs> That'd be all of us. Our sin put him on the cross. And number two, God had planned this before the world began. Wicked hands have, have crucified the Lord of glory according to... To the foreplanned will of God. Why? Because of what we say consistently from the pulpit. Whether it's me or someone else. A holy and righteous God requires payment for man's sin. A payment that all men and women. Every single one is incapable of making. None of us is capable of making that payment. When Adam sinned, when he messed up, the entire human race fell with them. And God addressed the dilemma of a holy God accepting sinful men and women by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect, sinless life and therefore be ineligible to die a sacrificial death so that all who will acknowledge their sin and trust Jesus' payment for them will be saved. 
In a few weeks, uh, we'll begin a 10-week series on the five solas of the Reformation. Look it up. If you don't know what that means, look it up. Sola, S-O-L-A. Alone, it's translated. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. We're going to do that as we near the 500th anniversary of what almost everyone agrees was the starting port of the Reformation, October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or 95 points of debate with the Catholic Church on the wall uh, or the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. Um, Luther, look, a lot of people recognized that the church needed reforming, and not long after the Protestant Reformation happened, there was a Catholic Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther was, was the first large personality of the Reformation, and he was quite a colorful character, as you'll uh, d- discover over the next coming weeks. And, and look, he was a flawed man. Martin Luther was a flawed man. But he understood, maybe better than anyone of his day, that the cross is the dividing point of history and the great divider of men and women. Luther considered all people to be theologians. In other words, we have views about God. We have beliefs about God's, God, God. And he divided people into two categories. Theologians of glory and theologians of the cross. Those who were theologians of glory saw, said there's a way to get to God. God will enable you to get to himself. There is something that is in you that he can help you achieve salvation if you'll do this. That's a theologian of glory. A theologian of the cross is one who says, no, there is nothing good in us. We are absolutely incapable, utterly incapable of reaching God. And God meets us in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross. The most unlikely place imaginable. He meets us at the cross. What you believe about the cross separates you from the other side. That does not mean, though, that those who oppose uh, the gospel do not believe in right and wrong. If we say, I cannot do right enough to be saved, doesn't mean we don't believe in right and wrong. We absolutely do. It's just the... And it's, it's, it's not just the, the, the theologians of the cross who believe in right and wrong. The theologians of glory absolutely believe in right and wrong. It's just they don't want some outdated religious book telling them what is right and wrong. And this is where we must be very careful, which is the focus of our next point. The gospel community must allow God, not the culture, To define sin and to provide the remedy for sin. Whenever the church allows the culture rather than scripture to drive the focus and energy of its ministry. It's treading on dangerous ground. If the culture is opposed to the truth of scripture. Even if you say the right things on the issue du jour. Tomorrow you'll be saying the wrong thing. At some point, you've thrown everything in Scripture out if you just keep combining. What are you even doing in a church? The church will become nothing more than the mouthpiece of the government. And it's just as dangerous on one side as it is on the other. Listen, you should thank God for the separation of church and state. It's the obliteration of the church that we need to be concerned about. We should all desire religious freedom for all religions in our nation. That gives us the right to to, to share the gospel. But when you constantly are trying, what's the issue today? We better line up behind that issue. And sooner or later, you lose your authority to share the gospel. The world will never be satisfied until you conform to its standard rather than the Bible standard. So what does the Bible teach? The gospel. Consider these words in in John 16, 8 through 11. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world 
concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what does this mean? <clears throat> Let's just say there are many interpretations. Um, there are a lot of different ideas about what Jesus was saying. It seems best, though, to understand what Jesus is saying in context of the gospel. The only sin that will condemn a person to hell is the sin of unbelief. To not believe that Jesus died to pay for our sins. He said, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, Jesus said he was going to the Father. There was so much the disciples didn't understand, but when he had risen from the dead and he ascended to the Father, when the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost, they understood that the only righteousness that would qualify a person for eternal life was imputed righteousness. That, that's simply saying that the Father says, I consider you righteous. It's just like you're on this team, you're on that team, you're on this team. And he says, I consider you righteous. He said, okay, Jesus took his sin, your sin upon himself, and he, his righteousness is credited to you. Your sin is credited to him, and, and your sin, his righteousness, I mean, is credited to you. It's the gospel. Judgment? It was rightly directed at every single one of us, but Jesus got in the way of God's wrath with the cross. And those who hide behind the cross, those who hide in the cross of Jesus are safe. They're saved. And the thing Jesus was saying over and over is, you don't need to hide from the wrath of man. You need to hide from the wrath of which is rightly and justly directed at all men and women. But Jesus died to absorb that wrath for those who will acknowledge their sin, repent of their sin, and believe. And guess what? The ruler of this world, who is Satan, is judged. He no longer has a claim on the life of a believer. And though we best understand the cross in terms of Jesus made payment for our sins, like a courtroom scene where Jesus is now our advocate. He says, Father, I died for this one. Satan has no claim on him. Even though we best understand that Jesus took our place, there's a lot of language in Scripture about redemption and how God saved us out of the wrath that was reserved for the devil and his angels. And we get that wrath as well until we are saved. And Satan was defeated at the cross. Praise God. Many of the current issues that are hotly debated in our land are directly addressed in Scripture. Respond to them in a gospel-saturated manner. Sinners... Yeah, we all are. So you're trying to say I'm a sinner? Yes, I am. But, but please know, I, I'm the biggest sinner who ever lived. I'm so grateful that God saved me. The remedy is the gospel. It's our only hope. In the gospel, we are one community of love, which includes bearing with and forgiving one another. As we do so, we say to the world that Jesus is enough. Some will love that message and some will hate it, which is the focus of the next point. <clears throat> Believers should make preparation for persecution, but also anticipate the Father's presence, Jesus' joy, and the Holy Spirit's encouragement. Is it alarmist to say that the church is heading for a different level of persecution than we have experienced in the past? I mean, we've <clears throat> not only enjoyed freedom, <clears throat> to function as, <clears throat> as we feel God wants us to as a church. We've, in, we've enjoyed a measure of respect in society, but no longer. <clears throat> 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 
Will it change even more dramatically? Almost certainly. And most changes of such nature occur far more quickly than people expect. When the culture identifies us as haters because we hold to a biblical view of marriage and human sexuality. And by the way, let me just say it now. <clears throat> so many students in here. God designed us to come together, man and wife, and to procreate in a marriage. Get married. Quit waiting till you're financially able, till you're emotionally stable. You're not going to ever get there. You're going you're gonna to be just as crazy when you're 68 as you are when you're 12. You know, so quit trying to grow up. Marriage will help you grow up. You have just about the finest example you'll find in any church of getting married and having a lot of babies. That's, a, that's, a, that's God's design for us. And when we talk about God's design for marriage and human sexuality, and when the culture thinks that the gospel is not enough to address racism, which it absolutely is, it almost is like, look, really? You're worried about racism? We're one in Christ. There is no Greek, Jew, uh, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, slave, free. We're one in Jesus Christ. When the culture says you're not addressing racism, the gospel absolutely does. Or when the culture has had enough of a religion that preaches, preaches oh, I'm excited now. I've got to, <laughs> got to calm down. Wait a minute. Let me tell you. <laughs> Preach it, the man said. That's what I heard. You said it. Let's hear when they've had enough of a religion that preaches exclusivity of salvation, as in only those who believe in Jesus will be saved, persecution is coming. Almost everyone agrees that the troubles will arrive someday, just not in our day. If you think that, I cannot tell you how much I hope you're right. I hope we go in a cycle. I hear that a lot. Oh, things go in cycles. Really, it's, it's as much a pendulum in our country <clears throat> as it is. We go this way, and then we all <clears throat> we react and go back the other way. But that thing is getting out of hand now. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and we're going to enter the cycle of history pretty soon. Empires just don't last that long. We implode. We die from within. And the church says, if you live according to God's principles... You will experience success and prosperity and all these other things. But the minute we do, what happens? <clears throat> Look at what we've done. And we all know what comes next. Pride goes before destruction and a fall. So, it may not be long before churches lose tax-exempt status because of our beliefs. And what we will and will not do in spite of what the culture demands. Christian schools, this is happening in a lot of places. I don't know any evangelical leaders that are not concerned about the days ahead. Not one. Not one. And they're looking at things ahead of most of us. Individuals may lose tax benefits for the financial gifts that they give to church. Look, both of these seem like not that big of a deal, and they really shouldn't be. But they will seem like a big deal if and when they happen because we based our ministry, we based our lives on that. What if <clears throat> all of a sudden when the government says no longer do you have uh, tax benefits for giving to a church, especially a church that spews hatred like yours obviously does, and you are one to $2,000 out of pocket for every year from there going forward, maybe even more. That's going to make a difference. When we have to pay taxes on almost 20 acres of land, when we are restricted in other ways, it makes a big difference. Surely these things are not guaranteed in Scripture. And please understand, please start thinking about this. When you tithe, it's nice to get that tax deduction, but is that the reason you tithe? Is the scripture say, 
essentially lay out the principle, give 10% to the church as long as you get a tax deduction. But you have to under... Look, don't even go with the, with the net gross. What, look, obviously, tithe on what you get, what, what you receive. <clears throat> Not for our, for our benefit as a church, but for your benefit. Obeying the principles of God, even if it's principles, following those principles... <clears throat> makes a huge difference in your life. Look, some of you already face discrimination in your workplace because of your belief system. Or you would if your views were known. The day may come sooner than you think when you'll face civil fines that will put an incredible strain on your finances. I could say more, but I'm going to stop there lest you think I'm paranoid. Well, you already think I'm paranoid. So, Look, Jesus warned the disciples about persecution to come so that they would not fall away. It was far from gloom and doom, though. He told them that their deep sorrow about his teaching them that he was going to die and go away would turn to unspeakable joy. And as I... As I... Contemplated this this week, a startling question came to my mind. I want to see if it affects you the same way. Were the disciples more joyful while Jesus was with them or after he had gone and the Holy Spirit had gone? Far more joyful after Jesus had gone. Even in persecution in the book of Acts, we're told that when the apostles were warned not to speak, they were warned by the Pharisees, don't you speak in Jesus' name. They went home, called the community, called the church together, and they had a prayer meeting. They didn't pray that the Lord would protect them. They prayed that God would give them boldness to proclaim the name of Christ in the face of being told that they could not. Later, when they were arrested again and they were beaten, they walked out praising God that they had been counted worthy to suffer persecution. They were beaten for preaching sin, righteousness, judgment. So Jesus was correct when he said, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. The Father will give it to you. I bet you didn't think about asking Jesus for boldness when people said, if you keep saying that, you're going to get your head knocked in. And, and for rejoicing when they were beaten. Ask in Jesus' name. Not for all of the things that we so frivolously fritter away our times with. Ask God for you to be a bold witness of the gospel in, in the face of the cost. Final point. Rejoice. We know how the story ends. Do you remember... The first time the Holy Spirit impressed the truth of John 16.33 on your heart. I, I, I don't remember the circumstances, but I do remember taking aback at the, at the beautiful truth <clears throat> in this verse. I have said these things, all of these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Trouble has its ways of drawing us together into community. And persecution draws the church together into a community of love. Which is exactly what God has designed for the church to be. And that appeals to a lot of people. Gospel community is witness. Is your heart troubled over the way that the direction of the world is trending? There's peace in Jesus. Do you have financial difficulties or medical issues that are overwhelming you? Can you rejoice in the same way that the disciples rejoiced over being persecuted for his name? Well, I could do that, but I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, look, in the end, trouble is trouble. <laughs> and we're called... To rejoice. <clears throat> have you lost a loved one recently? I know that some of you have. The Holy Spirit 
<clears throat> will comfort you as you grieve. Your grieving is not wrong. But the Holy Spirit <clears throat> will comfort you, often using those in the community to which God has called you and in which he has placed you. Jesus is with you and he has the last word. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. <clears throat> I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is the same that it was at the beginning. May your words find their mark in our hearts. We pray that you would encourage us, embolden us, soften us. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit who constantly points us to Jesus and ironically to the cross. Even though we, we knelt at the foot of the cross many years ago, many of us did and trusted Jesus for our salvation. We continually are brought back to the cross. In fact, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. So Lord... May we do so not as arrogant individuals who think they're better than anybody else. The gospel of all, of all people we ought to know. That we're nothing apart from Christ. Change us by your word, by your spirit. Make us more like Jesus according to the Father's plan. And we pray all of these things. And we pray for boldness in days ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.